Church family, would you pray with me as we just seek God and his word? Heavenly Father, I just pray that in these moments we'd have the sense of the disciples who were with you and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. This sense that we wouldn't even want to leave these moments because we get to hear you, we get to be by you. And so let your word be so powerful, um, so clear, so bold, uh, that we could have those same emotions. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever put anyone on the hot seat? What I mean by this is you asked them the really tough questions and you stared at them and you wanted an answer. I remember uh, listening to talk show radio, and um, I don't often do this, but um, it was about the Prime Minister of London being interviewed by a single mom who couldn't make ends meet. And this single mom was like grilling the Prime Minister. And I don't know why this was set up, and most politicians probably don't want this moment, but she was telling the Prime Minister, I, I can't afford to turn my heat on. I don't have a job that pays the bills. What do you expect of me to, to make a living here in this country at this time with everything that's going on? And he just took it. Now, he responded, and, and he heard, and he, he talked about programs that were being implemented and, and different things that she could consider and, and that he could relate because he didn't have enough back in the day. But it was really interesting that, that he was put on the hot seat because she wanted an answer. And maybe this reminds you of your childhood experience, and you went to a mom or a dad at one point, and you grilled them about some specific question. Maybe it was something they told you to do, and like, why do I have to do this, right? And you wanted an answer. And what I know about life is this. It's, it's one of the first takeaways if you're taking notes. What I know is that we, in general, want answers to the tough questions. We, we need answers, Right? And, um, and, and that's true based on the activity that we may or may not do. Uh, for, for example, how it affects our activity. Um, I'll, I'll give a negative example and a positive example. I went to the dentist this last Monday. And whenever I enter the dentist, um, they ask me this question that I know it's going to go one or two ways um, based on how I'm answering. And that is, do I floss? Now, wh what's the honest answer? Do I floss? No, I do not floss, unless I'm going to the dentist so that I can tell him that I just flossed. And so I always debate, because I know how it's going to go, if I tell him that I don't floss, they're going to try to convince me to floss, right? Thank you, David Wells. Um, be because that's what their job is to do, to convince me how to avoid gum decay and gingivitis, you know, to convince me to get those, they have the ones with the handles now, right, where I can, you know, get the disposable ones, and, and that's how it's going to go if I tell them, you know, I don't floss. But I'm still unconvinced. I haven't flossed this week. Sorry. But then there are other times where people convince me and it changes my behavior, for example, I remember back in the day learning about co compound interest. My first lesson in compound interest was Algebra 2. And, and they were telling about investing and, and compound interest from a 16-year-old versus a 60-year-old, 3,000 as a 16-year-old versus a 60-year-old. And if you've ever done the study with compound interest and the general rate of, like, you know, interest in the stock market, like, it's a big difference. And that one convinced me, right? Because I want to retire someday. So I'm like, when I have enough money, 
and I don't just need to buy video games and clothes. I am going to invest as soon as I can. Because if you get the right answer, it'll change your behavior. If you get the answer behind what's stopping you or blocking you, it, it can change. And, and that's why this series is so important. So I, I've done some study on the lost. And, 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 and you can do some study on, on those who have written off God. And, and, and what I know is that uh, among the different reasons of, of why they write off God, they don't have good answers to some really tough questions. And sometimes they've even been in environments where the church says, these are not the droids you're looking for. The church says, this is not the question you should be asking. And so there's these experiences where maybe you've even been shamed for asking a certain question. Or felt like less than because you had the question. And that's not helpful. And that's why we want to create an environment where any question is welcome. In fact, today I have an exercise for you. If you have a burning question on the connection card in front of you, I'd love for you to write it down and put them in the, the back. And that way we could be put on the hot seat and answer. And more study about those who have turned away, there, there are a lot of factors. Like, I think the rise of atheism, um, a little bit has to do with people who don't want to be told what to do. So there is that going on. But then in my study, another thing is that they encountered a tragic circumstance and they couldn't reconcile their faith in God and a good God and what they experienced. And, and maybe to a degree I'm speaking to, to some of you. Maybe to, to, to you at one time or another, you knew what it was to struggle because you had a question that wasn't answered. Or maybe you just want to do your own thing. And by the way, welcome, whatever your experience. Um, but today I want to give an answer. And the framework for which I do this, you know, is, is fueled by the Bible. I, I do believe this is how we should answer. It says, be prepared, but do this um, with gentleness and respect. And so I honor whatever your experience is, whatever that question is, um, whatever it is, there's hopefully respect. And I hope even some gentleness applied in, in the form of a conversation. But I want to give an answer. And so let's dive into one of the toughest ones, and we're going to do some others, like, why can I trust the Bible? Is the church helpful? Should I go to church? Some others that you have. But, but this, this big one of, again, if there is a good God, why is there so much suffering? And here's what I know about human experience. At one point or another, you've asked a form of this question. At one point or another, you've wondered where God was and why he allowed what he allowed. And so it's so good. And so we're going to dive into uh, this story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, who both ask the question at the death of Lazarus. And we're going to get to John 11 because, well, we're still hot off the heels of Easter, and I want to talk about a resurrection again. Um, but even as we talk about a resurrection, we're going to see how God enters into suffering, the human experience. Um, I love to just shake things up, and it's kind of a sleepy morning. Could we rise as we uh, just hear God's word? Awesome. So here's the account from John 11 as, as he's talking. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What's really interesting about the story is that Jesus was close enough to get there when Lazarus was sick, about two miles away. He didn't come. What's really interesting is that um, Jesus has said a word before and healed someone far away, and he didn't do that. And, and so she's trying to, like, reconcile. Why? What's going on? It's been four days. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. These two words, could you say them with me? Jesus wept. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Then Jesus said, see how he loved him. And these are the powerful words of God. Um, could you turn to the person next to you and tell him he loves you more than you know? He loves you more than you know. Please be seated. The path of least resistance. As a student, I often wanted to take the path of least resistance. It means that if there was a four-page paper due, I would see if Courier New could take my two pages and make them four. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It means that if I had to pick a book and, and read a book, I'd try to pick the shortest book, right? How, how can I get through this assignment with the path of least resistance? Well, because of that um, kind of goal for life, I came across this short little book uh, that would be good enough for my book assignment, and, and I didn't realize how heavy it was in just 100 pages. I remember um, I, back in high school, I believe, reading about the problem of suffering. And, and as I opened these pages to what I thought was going to be a brief, you know, easy assignment, 100 pages, here we go, let's just write about it, it's kind of a game changer. Because this was a book about a parent talking about the loss of a child. And, and, and if you know anyone who has experienced this, if, if this has touched somewhere near you, th this is the hardest things of life. What was really interesting about this book is that he was a pastor and, and now doctor. And so I was ready as a young person to have him give me kind of that happy ending. You know, and, and it happened, but this happened, and now I understand. That's not how the book went. The book was raw. The book was emotional. The, the book gave not answers but cliffhangers to how he experienced what he experienced. And it left open questions. And so for a young person, I'm like, whoa. But even though I read it at a young age, I came to understand that this is the way of suffering. More and more into life, that there are cliffhangers and there are unanswered questions. In fact, if you're taking notes, this is the first takeaway. I think that when it comes to suffering, it brings up specific questions to which there are general answers. I remember the book of Job. In fact, if you want to go online, we had a whole sermon series on Job, and you might know that he lost it all in the first chapters, and God shows up at the end chapter, but the middle like of like 40 chapters is him wrestling with questions. Where were you? Why was I born? What's going on if this is how hard it is? And then at the end of it, when God shows up, and, and, and he could have given an answer to Job. He could have said, and this is why, and this is why, and this is why, and this is why. He did none of that. Just gave a general answer. 
And this is where the sisters are. The sisters at the death of Lazarus have very specific questions. Mary says, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. A.K.A., why didn't you heal him? I've seen you heal other people. Why not this time? Lord, I know you were close enough to, the disciples just told me, why didn't you come? Was this not an emergency? And this is the way of suffering, isn't it? And so believers even wrestle with this, and, and unbelievers too, whatever your background, if there is a good God who has angels, we're like, why didn't you send the angels then? And if there's a God who can speak a word and calm a sea and raise the dead and heal the sick, why didn't you say the word then? And the problem of suffering is that we have general answers to our specific questions. But now the general answers are pretty good. Can I go there a little bit? If you've ever been in our, our starting point class, and by the way, I invite anyone to take our starting point class, uh, First Step at Amazing Love, uh, you've heard me say that my favorite, favorite class is um, Why is the World So Unfair? And, and it's a weird favorite class, but, but here's why. Let me dive into it this way. We often, I think, wrongly accuse. And, and, and wrong accusation in this life is, is a bad thing. Uh, kind of reminds me of a, a favorite movie of mine, Shawshank Redemption, and, and you know, the, the character played here was, you know, uh, wrongly accused, shouldn't have been in prison, and so you're kind of rooting for him to get out of prison, even if he has to escape and flee, and he does that pretty amazingly, you know, um, and, and, and you're rooting for him because that's a sense of justice. He was wrongly accused, of course he should be free. That's actually the age we live in. There are lawyers right now who are working to get uh, convicts out who are wrongly accused and, and, and becoming lawyers just to do this thing, right? Back to suffering. There's the opportunity for us as people to wrongly accuse whenever we're in tragic circumstances. To hold accountable the wrong party. To, to hold accountable, God, why did you? And God, why have you? When that isn't the reason we suffer. In general, if you're at starting point, or maybe you just know, what is the root core, the problem of suffering? How did it come? Sin. Sin. Absolutely. You go back to the garden, and it wasn't God's misintent, it was man's rebellion. And man's rebellion, as they ate from the true that was forbidden, that we don't know if it was an apple or what fruit it was, as they ate, it was the ultimate Pandora's box of evil. And now a perfect creation was chaotic, and now perfect relationships were hard. In fact, the first two brothers, one killed the other, Cain and Abel, I tell you what. Um, now we have to face death, and we have to face this disharmony in our relationship with God and wonder, can we trust him anymore as they hid from God? And all of this was open because, in general, sin broke the world. Why do you suffer? Because of sin. But is God good? Is God good? Amen. God is the only one who could enter in and show compassion. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I love what it says about him. That God made him who had no sin... 
did nothing wrong, complete injustice, to be sin for us so that in him we might come the righteousness of God. He took on the curse of sin by hanging on a tree as we just discussed on Good Friday. And now we are like the sons and daughters of God. We get to be treated like Jesus. God is not only good, but God is also powerful. Do you know Jesus reversed every curse of sin? Those who experience death now have life. Those who are experiencing guilt now have forgiveness. Those who suffer in this world, he's going to work for our good. This is the powerful, this is the good God that you have right now. And these are general answers to your specific suffering, but they're good general answers. It's good to remember he's not accountable for the pain you go through. It's good to remember he is still good. He is still powerful when we suffer, when those dark days come. But I got more for you this morning. Oh, man. It's in my heart. Like, if you could see how beautiful this next part is, like, you'd cry. You'd be like, oh, my goodness, this is so amazing. Like, I struggle as a preacher because what I can't do is put into words the glories of God, the riches of grace, to the degree that I always want to do it, but I'm sure going to try. Ready for these next moments? What is so sweet is that God has specific answers to our general suffering. And one of his most specific answers is in the shortest verse of the Bible. And the shortest verse of the Bible is what? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why does he weep? Some of you might say, well, of course, he's at the funeral of Lazarus. He misses Lazarus. I'm going to enter in and say that's not why he's weeping. You know why he's not weeping for that? According to his Godhead, he is going to raise Lazarus in a matter of minutes. He's going to say, Lazarus, come out. And, and now the friend that he has to goodbye to, like, he's back, right? So, like, he has power over this. Um, it, it's amazing. So it's not that, like, now I miss Lazarus. It's like, uh, I love Mike. Like, Mike, if you went two minutes away and came back two minutes, like, I wouldn't cry about it, right? Like, I'd be like, yeah, you know, good for you, but we'll see each other again, Right? So same with Jesus, like he knows he's going to see Lazarus, right? So why does Jesus weep? I got three ideas, three ideas. To set up this first one, um, and we'll get to it, I want to talk about different plans and plans that were broken. And, and I want to do it in the form of a TV show I've been watching called uh, Domino Rally. And at this point, you're like, how is this going to be as beautiful as you said it's going to be? But go with me, okay? Um, <laughs> Uh, I love that um, I heard that NASA scientists took time off to make the McGriddle to infuse syrup in a breakfast sandwich. And now in our society, engineers are quitting their jobs just to play with dominoes, right? Um, and if you've seen Domino Rally, you have like some of the most brilliant people saying, how could we play with toys, make dominoes go underwater, you know, make explosions. And it's fantastic, by the way. It's, it's really good. Um, in fact, it reminds me of my childhood. There was this uh, game called Domino Rally, and um, even in grade school, I had dominoes and tried to set them up. Not to this degree, but it's, it's really cool. And, and so the goal of Domino uh, Masters is that they set up this thing, and it topples. In fact, they call it topple time. But the problem is it doesn't always topple. And if you watch the show, you know this. So they go and they say, it's topple time, and they're watching it, and it's trying to go. 
and then it stops. And that's a problem with dominoes, right? Because then the rest of the thing can't happen if it stops at one point. And there is huge angst, heartburn, when it stops. In fact, I saw a grown man who used to be an engineer just ream out the rest of the crew for not, like, troubleshooting it. I'm like, it's dominoes. But have you ever had a plan that didn't come to fruition? To a degree, do you know what it is to plan your day and then have that day get interrupted? Like, I had my plan for the day. I'm going to do this and this and this. And then at, like, 8 a.m., none of it happens. It's not going to go that way. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have jobs, and you have this whole big project, this whole big idea. You're planning, and none of it happened. Not even close. Right? And this is the way of life. We, we do that for a day, for a job. We do that for relationships. We do that with money. We do that with health. We have all these plans, and then what's supposed to topple doesn't topple. Back to Jesus. His plan was amazing. He wanted you and I forever. And he never wanted you to cry. And he never wanted you to hurt. And he never wanted you to go to a funeral. He never wanted you to have a gray day. He never wanted you to wrestle. He never wanted you to have a sleepless night. He never wanted you to say goodbye. And as he gets into this funeral procession, and all these people are gathered, what he's probably saying is, this is not my plan. It's not even close. And so why does Jesus weep? Because you need to know about our Savior. Your suffering wasn't part of the plan. In fact, God's plan is to make all things new. If you are in Christ, you're going to go back to Eden. And you're going to have perfect relationships. And you're going to have perfect harmony with God. And you're never going to cry again. And you're never going to face death. And it's going to be an amazing creation that you can explore for all of eternity. Because God's plans are good. And he never wanted us to suffer. But there's more. Do you know what it is on Sunday night to dread Monday? Anyone? Absolutely. Or maybe it's the end of spring break, and, and maybe it's the end of a vacation, and you're like, do, do I really have to go back? I think they make commercials about, like, trying to stay because they don't want to go back, right? Because what we know is that there are, are hard things to do. Uh, you might have to enter into exams, a Monday, a work week, right? And, and that's the way of life. There, there's going to be toil. There's going to be hard things. And, and it's good to do the hard things, but it's not easy to do the hard things, Right? If you can relate to this on any level, I want to tell you about the chronology of when this chapter happens. Well, first let me ask, does anyone know when does Jesus raise Lazarus in regards to Holy Week? So Holy Week starts Palm Sunday, and then Easter is the next Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. When do you think Lazarus is raised? Saturday. Saturday before Palm Sunday. It's called Lazarus Saturday in some circles. And so Jesus, as he's coming to Lazarus, knows the next day he's getting on a donkey, knows on Thursday he's going to leave his disciples, and what does he know about Friday? 
And we know his emotions on Friday. If you remember him in the garden, he says, yes, it's coming, but Lord, if there's any way you could take this cup, like, if I could avoid Monday, can I just stay on the break? I, I, I mean, can, can we just avoid this whole thing? But not my will, you're be done. And so there's a part of me that as he weeps, I wonder this, that is he looking at a problem and only he has the solution and he's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be hard. The only way this is fixed is through what I have to do. And oh my goodness, no one has suffered in the same way. No one will have to do more than what's approaching me this next week. And so there's a part of me that thinks Jesus weeps because it means his ultimate suffering. And there's a part of me that remembers these words from Isaiah. Maybe you remember them too. That surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed, and it's the only way we could be healed. And Jesus knows. And by the way, do you know you can never outsuffer Jesus? So, so whatever you go through, whatever you've been through, whatever's in your heart and mind, you, you can't go to God and be like, you have no idea! Like, yeah, I do. <laughs> yep. Know that one. Relationally, physically, emotionally, I know them all. But there's a final thing. So those are my two. And the final thing is this. I don't know if you've ever had um, someone who didn't know how to read the room. <clears throat> For example, it could be a, a friendship, and, and everyone was celebrating, like, the Cubs won 21 to 0, and you're celebrating, ah! Are they going to continue winning that way, Loretta? I hope so. Anyway, they could spread out the runs. Let's, they're all partying, yeah, we won, okay! And, and let's, everyone's celebrating, and then you have the one friend who comes in, like, da, 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 da,
volcano, like, Christmas Eve candlelight, and it was right here, and I go to blow out this candelabra, and some of you remember. Do you remember what happens? I blow, whoosh. Yeah, yeah, it was no good, right? But Jesus still reigns. Ha ha. And my microphone works. So back to the love of Jesus. Love empathizes, doesn't it? And, and what we know about, about God then in our suffering is this, that the God who could have showed up to this funeral and wagged his finger and said, don't you know, sinners, this is what you deserve, and the God who could have said, don't you know what I have to do to solve this? You guys think this is hard? Let me tell you what I have to do. He had none of that. And so where is God when you suffer? Is he up in heaven wagging, you sinner, finally it came to you? No. Your God is right beside you crying. Because he feels what you feel. And he loves you more than you know. Jesus weeps. It's powerful. But the final thing I want to close with, because it was just Easter, is how it ends. And to set this up, um, we had a celebration for my daughter's birthday, and Amazon now delivers cakes. I didn't know Amazon delivers cakes, but they're in the cake delivery business. And my wife found this amazing cake. Look at that. It's amazing. And what I love is what food coloring can do. And maybe you've done food coloring for something. Food coloring, only a couple drops can permeate all the water. Only a couple drops can permeate the whole batter. And so this cake must have been a lot of fun to make as food coloring, you know, made that so bright and it was delicious, I guess, um, you know. Um, but, uh, but, but that's what it does. It permeates through the whole thing. The cake is still cake. The batter is still batter. But it's permeated with color. We will suffer. I wish I had my magic pastor's wand. I wish you could come to this church and every time you suffer, just meet with pastor and I go like this and it's gone. I'd love to have that. I don't think it's always helpful or God's plan. But what I can tell you is this, that Jesus has something that will permeate your suffering. It'll put it in perspective. And that's his glory and victory. Both the beginning and the end of this account of John 11 is Jesus telling us why it happened. And Jesus said that the reason this is going to happen this way is so that God could get the glory, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. And even when Jesus prayed before he rose Lazarus, he says, and so reveal your glory. And what you need to know is that God still has glory and power over your situation. That the victory of Jesus Christ permeates everything. Everything in our lives, the good days are not as good because they're still not the ultimate victory. And the bad days are not as bad because they're still not the ultimate victory. But Jesus Christ's victory permeates everything. And this is the story of the Christian life. That regardless of what you come in with, regardless of what you will experience, we know how the story ends. Because the angel said, he's not here, he's risen. And I want you to know that. And so your next step as we get into the Bible, it's just, I want you to dwell in this. 
not only Jesus weeping, but the capstone and the final stone. I want you to open a Bible, grab one if you don't have it, and read this account and meditate on this account and see the glory of God past it. And know the same glory is for you. Amen. At this time, we have the opportunity to confess our faith. And today we'll use the words of the Apostles, so, excuse me, Nicene Creed as we do that. The Nicene Creed is before you. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. All right, a couple announcements. Uh, number one is uh, we love that uh, we are a member-supported church, and if you're a guest or visitor, please don't feel obligated to give a gift. Uh, but our app is a really great resource with our sermons and our devotions, with prayer requests, so feel free to check that out. Um, a couple other announcements. Uh, we love Illinois Lutheran, and their choir is coming here on Mother's Day, so um, come for a wonderful Mother's Day on May 8th. Um, also, there is a marriage refreshment class on May 7th and May 14th. Uh, if you're interested, please fill out a connection card and just uh, tell me that you're interested in marriage refreshment so we can get your names for that class. Uh, should just be a great refresher. Um, and uh, all the other announcements, I'll just let you peruse. But just a huge thanks to all those who uh, helped us with Easter and the helicopter drop. Um, yeah, just praising God for those things. Now we turn our attention to prayer. Um, in our prayers today, remember uh, Melissa Appleby, um, whose father was called to heaven. And so we're going to pray that God would comfort her uh, during this time. After this, we'll join together in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for the empty tomb during this time so that we know you've overcome death. And I know Melissa knows and the family knows uh, because they are in you, um, but it's still hard. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd show up with your powerful presence to comfort them, um, to give them uh, peace through your presence, to give them hope um, of a new day. And so be with them during this time. Lord, for all who are sick or suffering, we, we just ask that you would show your mercy and your grace, um, that they would know you are a loving and a good God who is right by their side. Uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name, and now join in the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.